0: If you have a Bible, please, if you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For my friends in the back, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 and eight, through 18. Let me go ahead and, and let you know that we are... Uh, how many of you watched the last sermon? Don't raise your hand. You'll, I don't want to embarrass. But last Sunday, we finished up Genesis. Um, I hope you watched it. Uh, it was... Kind of bittersweet to conclude Genesis online as opposed to in person. I was looking back through my notes and we started back in October of 2018 and ran all the way through uh, November of 2020, so that's Genesis. I don't know where we're going to land next because for the next four weeks what we're going to be doing is looking at Advent and at, how many of you know what Advent is? Your little Advent calendars. Uh, Advent means coming, um, and it's a reference to the coming of Christ, both His initial coming, which was the incarnation, and the second coming of Christ. In fact, historically, and we're going to follow this pattern uh, here, the, uh, the beginning sermons of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, were dedicated uh, to the second coming of Christ, uh, to prepare your heart in reminder of His coming back to us, and then as we get closer to Christmas Day, de- delving into His coming in the Incarnation. So we're actually going to follow that pattern. Um, I've never done it that way before, and that is why we're in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read verses uh, 13 through 18, and then we're going to talk about uh, the hope of His coming. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's a lot, isn't it? There's a lot in there. How many of you have spent some time uh, studying the book of Revelation or listening to others who have studied the book of Revelation? Just be honest. Let's just be honest. Here at the end of the year, let's just confess all of our hearts' issues, whatever they may be. How many of you are really fascinated by the end of the world? I'll just go ahead and raise my hand and say, yes, I am. Of course, there's a lot of us. How many of you grew up with Left Behind, and you grew up with a lot of those kind of books and a lot of that kind of stuff, and you're always, like, Uh, wide-eyed? How many of you went to church? I can tell you, going to church, uh, Pastor Tony, the pastor I grew up with, was really better than the average person when it came to preaching on the book of Revelation. He was just really, really good at it. And every time he talked about the book of Revelation, it could have, we could have said, we're going to meet every Tuesday at 2 a.m. and there would have been 500 people there. Like, he, it wouldn't have mattered. People wanted to hear when he talked about it. And I remember Sunday nights as a little kid uh, hearing these sermons about the Antichrist and the end of the world and the rapture and left behind and all this stuff. And I remember going home every time just like, ah, 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 Did anybody else have that reaction? Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I remember when we first started the church, somebody, some of you can chuckle that know this story. When we first started the church, uh, there was a girl that was coming to our church who always wanted to hear about the second coming and about Jesus coming back, and the Antichrist, and these pieces are finally moving into position, and everything, the sun is in line with Pluto. Everything is working out just like we said. And uh, you, you know what I mean. There's always that element to eschatology, the end. And she was one of them. She's like, Pastor, I just really wish you'd preach on Revelation. Just really wish you would preach on Revelation. I just really, every Sunday, every sermon should be on Revelation, every time. Every once in a while, maybe the book of Daniel and the prophecies in Ezekiel, but just every Sunday, it's got to be this. I want to learn about the end. And September 11th happened. How many of you remember the feeling you had when September 11th happened? How many of you immediately leaped to, because I definitely did, leaped to, this is it. This is it. This is the end. You guys, anybody, am I alone in that feeling? I remember driving to Sears, where Jennifer worked, and uh, I think Daniel was with me, we were working in a telemarketing office, God forgive us, um, and we were driving up, and there was nobody on the road from downtown Huntington to the, to the mall, nobody was out, and we're listening to the radio, and we're like, our eyes are real big, and we're like, what, this is it, this is it and uh, watched the news like everybody else glued to the TV. And in the middle of that, sometime around 2 o'clock, that girl who always, always, always was listening to the end of the world stuff and always wanted to know more and always wanted to know more, called me crying in hysterics. And I mean hysterics. I mean clinical definition of hysterics. And her hysterics were... This is it, it's over. And rather than looking forward to the end and the coming of Christ, as we just read, encourage one another, isn't that what I just said? Encourage one another with these words? I think is what it said. Rather than there being any encouragement, abject terror. Which should tell you something about the way that the book of Revelation is preached, and it should tell you something about the way that Christians are viewing the end, they may not be viewing the end biblically. They may be viewing the end like a Hollywood script. And, and part of my caution this morning, our first Sunday of Advent, as we discuss the return of Christ, is the point, according to Paul here, is to encourage one another with these words, not scare everybody about what the mark of the beast may be, because we know it's those Kroger cards, 1988, Or 89. Does everybody remember that? Did anybody hear the the Kroger cards were clearly the mark of the beast? The first time they came out, debit cards the first time they came out were clearly the mark of the beast. And there's been a thousand other clear examples. Anyway, that's not how we encourage one another. We encourage one another with the promise of His coming. Now let's go back and look and get an idea of what's going on at the church at Thessalonica. One of the things that's going on is a fear that those who are dead have missed out on the victory of the second coming of Christ. Look at at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, your NIV will say ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. What does he mean by asleep? He means dead. Why doesn't he just say dead? Because for a Christian, death is temporary, like sleep, because you will have and do have eternal life. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul does not want you to be ignorant, Thessalonican church, and he doesn't want you to be grieving over these people who have fallen asleep, who have died, like others who do not have any hope. You do have a hope, is what he's saying. You do have a hope. We don't want you to be troubled by these rumors that say uh, that they've missed out on the second coming, but not heaven. There was this thing going around and this false teaching, and it was clearly the, the area of Asia Minor for there to be this type of false teaching, because in 2 Thessalonians, Paul actually is correcting another misconception that the resurrection has already happened and the second coming has already happened. So in 2 Thessalonians, he corrects that. In 1 Thessalonians, he's saying, I don't want you to think of this, of, of your brothers and sisters in Christ who have died, the same way that people who have no hope think about it. We do have a hope. That hope is the resurrection. And that's what he goes on to talk about in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. That's an interesting sentence. God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. When? When? Well, he explains it in verse 15. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord. This is a prophetic word that came to the early apostolic church to inform them this is how it's going to happen. And then it becomes a part of the canon of Scripture. Prophetic words today do not become a part of the canon of Scripture, but there in that apostolic era, as God is laying the foundation on the apostles and the prophets, they received a word from the Lord. The Holy Spirit spoke to the early church and said this, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so the people that are still living and breathing, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, you will not go in the second coming, you will not be caught up in the return of Christ apart from or even before those who are asleep and dead. You can imagine what's going on. How many of you have loved ones that have passed away? That are believers? That you wish were with you? And the fear was, oh no, what's going to happen? And they were settling issues that for us, like, well, yeah, we know that. But this is the doctrine of the second coming and of the resurrection of the saints bodily. It is not some metaphor. It is literal, and he's getting ready to describe that. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. I want you to hear and feel that. Jesus is going to come blasting out of heaven with a cry of command. In fact, how great thou art, just we just sang that. What was the verse? Help me out, Stacy, Jennifer. What was the verse there about him? Shouts. How does it say it? Shouts of acclamation. There it is. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home that that line and that song is from this verse for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of god when jesus returns it will not be like the picture of him where he is like this or whatever it is that they always painted Him, just the very weak and mild, milk-toast Jesus pictures, if that's the image you have of Jesus, please erase it. That is not what it's going to be like when He comes back. If you read the book of Revelation, there are people crying out that they would be hidden from the Lamb lest He see them in His wrath and they cry out for rocks to smash their brains so that they do not have to face the Lamb. This is who is coming back with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I have a feeling trees are going to fall over. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be intense. And every believer, like that song says, we are going to explode with joy at the return of Jesus. This is the hope of every persecuted Christian in history to this very day. And this is the hope of every Christian sitting in this room and listening online. This is our hope. It's not this world. It's not this election. It's not this job that you're working Our hope is Jesus and His return. We are anxiously waiting, looking forward to that day. And Paul is trying to encourage these Thessalonians, you're not going to get into this scene, this loud return of Christ first. It's going to be the dead first. Keep reading. And the dead in Christ will rise... First, this is going to be really wild. Every unbeliever and every rebellious soul against God is going to see in that moment something unbelievable. The dead in Christ will rise. From where? Wherever they're buried. They are going to be raised up out of the grave, and then what? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is, this is crazy stuff, isn't it? You, you think about what we believe... What we believe is Jesus is coming back to get us. And when he comes with that command, like he said "The Lazarus, come forth, and he came up out of the grave, he's going to say the same thing to every dead Christian throughout history, and they are coming up out of the grave, out of the ocean, out of wherever they are, and they are meeting the Lord in the air. And we are going to see that happening, and we are going to go up with them and meet Him in the air. Wow! It is incredible. Now people have asked me, well, what about somebody that died 500 years ago? Their bodies are probably no longer there. God, who created the molecule, is not going to have any issue with resurrecting their remains, whatever they are, out of the wherever they are, and reconnecting them, spirit, soul, and body. Let's just mention this quickly as just a bit of just Christian doctrine. Philippians one twenty three. you don't have to turn there, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do not, we do not believe in soul sleep that says when somebody dies as a Christian, they go into an unconscious spiritual status waiting for this day. And then they'll regain consciousness, uh, spiritually speaking, and all that. Paul said, it would be better for me to depart because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which means, and I'll use Jennifer's mother, As an example, my dear mother-in-law who I miss terribly doesn't miss me because she's in the presence of Jesus. (laughs) She has no reason to miss me. She is with Jesus right now. She is in heaven. We are more than this body that we see. This is the temporary house that we live in. We are a spirit and we have a body. And when you die, and we look at you at the funeral and see your body in the casket, we all say the same thing at the funeral. Patty Newman is not here. Patty Newman is there with the king. But what happens when this day happens in Thessalonians? The dead in Christ will rise first. That means the Patty Newman, her spirit, which is in heaven is going to be reunited with her body which is currently buried. And so it will be for every Christian because the intention of God is that we have glorified bodies that live forever with Him. Now, where am I coming up with some of that? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sometimes these are basic things that we don't always think about, but are really important, especially, especially in a time of hopelessness, to be thinking about where our real hope is. this world is not my home. First Corinthians 15, I'm going to read with verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So if you're out here thinking, what you just said about your mother-in-law coming back together with her body sounds a little peculiar. If that's what you're thinking, then let's hear the biblical explanation for it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Snap of a finger. At the last trumpet. So now we are connected to First Thessalonians chapter 4. This moment, this last trumpet, this return of Christ. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Meaning they do not expire. They've got a new body and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. You're getting a new body, an imperishable one. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How does a Christian anchor their hope into the future resurrection of Christ, you look at His Word, and He is telling us this is what's coming. And we, as a generation, may die off and not see it, or we may be driving to work one day and hear the Lord descend with a shout, with a voice of command, with the sound of a, like the sound of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and we may all boom in that moment. In the twinkling of an eye, see, shooting up into the air with Him coming, the dead in Christ raising, and then us ourselves meeting them in the air, and thus we will always be with Him there. Amen. Praise the Lord. There is a reason that the hymn writers come back to this theme over and over and over. It is our hope, church. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for His people. You are not left alone. This is a great hope every time we experience injustice. Every time you experience any difficulty, any struggle, any trial, any perplexing, you can come back to this hope and say, I am weeping right now, but this is temporary this is not my home, this is not forever, He's coming back to get me, or I die, I get to be with Him, and then when that final moment happens, I'm going to be a part of it there as well. It is a glorious, glorious truth, and I fear we don't think about it nearly enough to just put the brakes on our life and say, wait a second, this is the purpose of my king to return and get me. He saved me. He sanctified me. He's with me now and he's not leaving me here. He's coming back to get me. Those verses are powerful. And in this Advent season, we are looking forward to his return. But I want you to hear the words again It's the logical conclusion of this hope is in verse 58 of Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you've heard that phrase, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, the reality of that phrase is they're not actually heavenly minded. It is impossible to be heavenly minded and no earthly good. Because real heavenly mindedness is steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. When I hear the word work, I see calluses on my hands. When I hear the word work, I see people cleaning up children's church poopy diapers. When I hear the work of the Lord, I see the difficult labor that nobody sees in the storehouse. I see the labor of love that goes in to the elders calling members of the church. I see the work of the Lord as you choosing not to lie at work, even though lying at work would be expedient and get you out of trouble. And somebody sees it and you don't even know that they see it. And they say, that guy is a Christian and, there is, uh, and they're trying to run away from God and they're rebellion and they're resisting and God's using your life as a testimony to them. The work of the Lord is a daily, ongoing, living out our relationship with God. There is no such thing as sitting back and waiting. Trying to hide from the world. It is an engagement with the world. It's an engagement with your work. It's an engagement with families and with friends and with neighbors. It is engaging in the gift that God gave you. It's engaging in living for Him and prayer and fasting and giving of tithes and offering and giving of time and giving of love and mercy and giving of forgiveness and treating others as more important than yourself and the fruit of the Spirit. It's constant living for the Lord, steadfast and movable. And in the background, in the background, I hear the constant hum of the engine that is saying, with the voice of a commanding sound. He's coming back. And all this work is not in vain. All this labor is important. All of this is being fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. I must work until He comes. I must work until He comes. I must teach and preach and love until He comes. And That's what is driving us. And it is a glorious thing to look at that engine of hope. He's coming back. He's coming back. I've got work to do until He comes back. Let us work while it is the day for the night is coming when no man can work. So we've got work to do. This sermon, this idea, this doctrine of His return is not escapism. It's hope anchoring so I can put my feet on something solid and then boldly maybe go to a country as a missionary and die for Him because this This life is not my own. It's his. And I've got work to do. It's a beautiful thing, and I'm not gonna make you go back to First Thessalonians, but if you read the first couple verses of chapter five, it says exactly the same thing. It says exactly the same thing. It says that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And there will be people saying peace and safety and then suddenly it comes which is why we have to be working we have to be praying we have to be living everything isn't dramatic if you have it's so easy just to look at the christian life as it's supposed to be these big dramatic victories and these big dramatic wins these big and most of it is just mundane routine living faithfully for the Lord, and that is where God is working in your life. and You don't even know it, but you don't have to figure it out. Wouldn't that be wonderful to live your life not trying to figure out what God is doing all the time and just live it for Him? What's He doing? Well, guess what? He's God, and you're not. And you're not ever going to know. Or maybe you'll know, like Genesis 50-20. Maybe you'll know, and maybe you won't know. That isn't what's important. What's important is steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, which is said because it's tempting to believe that that little work you did is meaningless. Because the devil is constantly telling you that you are worthless and you are meaningless. And what you've done is insignificant and unhelpful. Those boxes don't mean anything, Ashley. That's just something you do because you cause you saw those videos and it just makes you feel good. And that's that's not doing anything. That's the kind of that's the way the devil works in our minds and our hearts. That Christmas play that you wrote, meaningless, Chris and Amanda. Absolutely meaningless. That's the way. That's the way that we get discouraged. And what we need to do is go back and say, nope, the Bible says it's not in vain. The Bible says it's working a great weight of glory. The Bible says Jesus is coming back for me. And that hope is fueling me forward. And sometimes, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of death, in the midst of losing those that we love, you can cry with them and say, coming back to get us he's coming back to get us we're going to see them again we're going to meet them in the air with the king of kings that'll be a glorious day but i want to cry with you right now because that too is labor that's not in vain church we have a lot to do in 2021 2020 is clear as crystal to me a wake-up call for us to get up off of our pampered backsides and say, let's do the work of the Lord. Let's do it. Let's be about our Father's business. Amen. I don't normally preach, but that felt like preaching. Okay. We are going to celebrate communion. Now, if you did not get this, it is right outside in the hallway, and I want to give everybody an opportunity to get that if you would like. We're going to receive communion together. You know, one of the promises of communion is we are actively saying something that is in alignment with what we just read in Thessalonians. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said that when you take it, and he says, you know, there's a warning in there about not taking it unworthily, which means flippantly, which means this is a meal for Christians and not... Not a meal that it's to be taken lightly and just do it as a routine, but to be taken with reverence and with serious thought. But Paul said in there, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You are actively engaging in a proclamation of faith that says, I am a Christian who has been bought by the broken body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am declaring to everybody in my community of faith that I am actively believing and hoping in the resurrection of the dead and the second coming of Jesus Christ and that I will meet Him in the air because of what He did. I will not meet Him there because I polished myself up because I did a bunch of good works. I will meet Jesus because He saved me through His death, through His resurrection, through His grace. That is our faith. We declare it today as a family. Lord, come quickly. Let's take this together. Is an awesome thing to think of you as coming back with a voice of command with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God. It is an awesome thing to think that the dead in Christ will rise first and the imperishable will put or the perishable will put on imperishable and that we will be united with you forever in the air God we also recognize the steadfast, immovable labor that is not in vain. God, I pray that You would, by Your grace and by Your Spirit, empower us to do what You're calling us to do. God, lead our hearts, guide us, help us not to live in fear and cowardice, but in courage and in strength that comes from You. Lord, we thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Church, I love you very much. want to uh, just remind you that at the giving, either tithely or up here, we appreciate all your faithful support. We will see you next Sunday.